All right, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. Hope everybody's doing well today on this beautiful June afternoon. How are you today, Mary? Good. Yeah? I'm good. I worked out in my garden today. Yeah? I forgot grass was sharp. Oh, Mary, you cut your hand up a little. Yeah, I did. It just said, phew. Yeah. Yeah, it's sharp. And then I wondered why my hand hurt so much. <laughs> First thought, maybe I was allergic to grass, but no. Um, that would be weird at your age to suddenly be allergic to grass. I but know. I suppose weirder things have happened. I know. Um, and anyway, thanks to everybody who's joining us. Appreciate you're spending a little bit of your day with us. Yeah. Hope you have as much fun as we do. I hope so, too. Uh, I'm your host, Mary Swartz. Hi, I'm Hannah Green. And Hannah is joining us again. Yay! Well, Andrew's taking some much-needed and well-deserved time off. He has a very, very crazy and hectic life right now. He does. That's okay. That's how it goes sometimes. So Hannah and I are sitting at the table drinking Southern Sweet Tea today over ice. It's quite tasty and refreshing. It Thank is you refreshing. very much. Yep. Yeah. Mary, thanks very much for yeah. making that. You want to talk about what's on the other podcast? Yes. So on Wednesday, Murder Mischief in Moscato is coming out with If Only I Could Read. Now, I don't remember what that um, pertains to, but I know it's something funny. Uh if I recall correctly, it has to do with the fact that you have a hard time sometimes reading your own stories. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes the English language is challenging for me. Math, English. You sure you're a college graduate? Baked that. <laughs> Wouldn't be the weirdest thing we've ever talked about that here. Is, that is true. Um, anyway, so there was a story covered about... 2,600 wrong numbers, which was actually super entertaining. And then there was a heartbreaking story of Candace Newmeyer, a very young woman who had a very challenged life and died during a rebirthing session. That was a pretty heartbreaking story. It was. I was thoroughly sick to my stomach and enraged by that story. But, but I'm glad that we had the opportunity to share it. Yes. Yes, and I'm glad you followed it up with 2,600 wrong numbers, which was slightly amusing. <laughs> a little quirky. Yep, you never quite know what we're going to throw out there on that podcast. That is super, super true. So that is what is happening on Wednesday on Murder, Mischief, and Moscato. If you haven't taken uh, some time to listen to it yet, give it a shout out, give it a listen. Yes. You will probably find something that you will be entertained by there. Yes, it's actually, frequently, it's very, very funny. Very funny. All right, National Day for June 13. My National Day honors those who like to cook and be in the kitchen. Doesn't always work well for them. Oh. So it is National Kitchen Clutzes of America Day. I believe I've met a few of those. Yes. So if you're not familiar with the term klutz, it's basically a very clumsy person. So kitchen klutzes are known as the people who set out with the intentions of being like Gordon Ramsay or Julia Childs. They open up the cookbook. As they put their mixing bowl, their ingredients on the counter, they imagine knife cuts as swift as Wolfgang Puck or Bobby Flay. 
However, reality usually sets in fairly quickly. And all those little dreams kind of disappear as frequently smoke might billow from the oven or a cook pot on the stove. I believe they've actually made a TV show about these people. They might have. I don't it's, know. It, it's actually, it is. It's a Food Network show, I believe. And it's called The Worst Cooks in America. <gasps> I've seen it. I've never watched it. I believe most of the time it has, oh my gosh, what's her name? I can see her. She has spiky white hair. Oh, I know. I, I know who you're talking about. And Bobby Flay is on there a lot, too. They have teams that compete against each other. And trust me, these people... I don't know how it's possible to be this bad in the kitchen, but this is clearly their day. Right. So basically, the kitchen klutzes of American Day say that it may be necessary to keep a first aid kit and a fire extinguisher handy when your kitchen klutzes are around. Be ready to call 911 and have your favorite takeout menu handy as backup. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Which does not, I mean, obviously does not pertain to either you or I, but I have met some people that hamburger helper is a challenge. I believe I've eaten some of those meals. Doing so gracefully, politely, can definitely be a challenge. And wondering where the nearest fast food joint is on the way home. (laughs) And possibly hoping that they have hollow legs in their table. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) I have an international day today. Okay. June 13th is International Axe Throwing Day. Ooh, ooh, this could be dangerous. International Axe Throwing Day encourages competitive and amateur axe throwers to sharpen their blades, pick up a handle, and toss a few. Axe throwing, like a lot of other sports, is an excellent stress reliever. Once the pastime of loggers and lumberjacks, axe throwing has grown in popularity, especially in the last few years. It is now designed to be a family-friendly, thrower-of-all-age sport. So your next family gathering, you just pull out the axes and go, hey, let's set up, you know, ring toss, lawn darts. You know, I think it's it's a uh, perhaps slightly safer version of the original lawn darts that we grew up with. You're not we, throwing us, them at each other. None of us died. We didn't throw lawn darts at each other. No, just up in the air. And everybody scatter like hell. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We didn't die. Uh, One of my favorite things was to try to throw them up and over the power lines. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten that one. Yeah. So on International Axe Throwing Day, clubs across the country open their facilities to friends and family members. The social event not only offers a chance to check out the tools of the sport, but it does provide opportunities to learn about the culture of axe throwing, the terminology, the competition, and all the other things that go along with it. I have never actually done axe throwing, although I have seen it. I did go to a mead hall earlier this year, and they had axe throwing there. I would be a little bit afraid to see you throw an axe. Especially if I'd been drinking mead. You and I are not always the most coordinated to start with. There's occasions when we have a problem walking upright when we're sober. I'm not really sure. Okay, let me let me go back and say, I've bowled with you. I once threw a bowling ball backwards. I've bowled with you. I do not want to see you throw an axe. <laughs> oh, no, you do. 
from a safe distance <laughs> with a cell phone recording in your hand. No, I do. I don't think that. No, with you with an axe. No, I don't think there is a safe distance. <laughs> I've seen you as a bowling ball. Thanks for the vote of confidence, there, Mary. Absolutely, everyone. Happy International Axe Throwing Day! Yay! Just don't throw them at your neighbors or your partner, loved ones, or your children, or just your don't boss. throw them at anyone or your boss. Okay, there you go. That's All my right. day. Have you heard of Smidget? Um, I I don't believe so. Smidgen, yes. Smidget, no. Yes, we all know Smidgen. It's like a grandmother phrase. Yes. A smidgen of this, a pinch of that. Yes. Many horses over the years have claimed to be the smallest, but none actually boasted the very tiny size of Smidget. Smidget was born on April 13th of 1979 in Jackson, Michigan. Yay, we'll take it. She gained fame for celebrity appearances and a starring role as the unicorn in the television series Fairy Tale Theater in 1982. Oh. Smidget weighed 75 pounds. Full grown. It doesn't seem like a very small horse to me. She stood 21 inches tall. That's a very solid horse. Yes. Wow. She proved smaller than her. Her father was 28 and a half inches tall and her mother was 32 inches tall. So she was even much smaller than they were. When it comes to star power, Smidget was actually very much larger than life. She could perform a variety of tricks on command. She could count. She could weave through her owner's legs and she actually made funny faces on, com- on command. Oh, my gosh. I know. She earned a devoted following and won the attention of some of Hollywood's biggest names, including Henry Winkler. Oh, the Fonz. Chris Christopherson. John Schneider. Aw. Kathy Lee Crosby. And Michael Jackson. Wow. She also guest appeared on the Merv Griffin Show. Although Smidget built a reputation around her very tiny stature, she had an extremely sweet nature. And her nature won over the hearts of the people that came to see her. All the crowds that came to see her just kind of fell in love with her. Um, Coupled with her extreme intelligence, she often performed tricks that further endeared her to those people in the crowds. Smidget actually passed away in 1990. So at the age of, she wasn't an old, 11. It's not, I don't think that's old for horses. Although maybe for the really tiny horses, that might be different. I don't know. That is a very cool story. Thanks for I sharing. I know. I know. She's just adorable. I saw a picture of her. She's just adorable. Oh, Absolutely wow. adorable. So a high school pool party in Tennessee got a little bit wilder last weekend after a crew of black bears showed up. What? Oh, my gosh. Seven of them, to be exact. Uh, I'm going to say be- the pool wasn't totally, like, enclosed. That's what I'm going to guess. And I'm just thinking... Uh, yeah. You're not thinking much. Wow. Uh, so the students who actually shot video of the bears being there were safely outside of the pool area. Oh, good. Once the bears appeared, they sk- they skedaddled. Yeah. They shot videos which show the bears splashing around in three different pools, strolling across the tennis court. Uh, and at one point in time, two of them actually engaged in a little bit of roughhousing, like they think maybe they're teenagers too. Oh. Seven of them. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, and I am glad that the teenagers had enough sense yes. to yeah. move out of the way, yeah. keep oh. their distance, yeah. take video from a safe distance, but not engage. But yeah, it is, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's well known, but 
when the weather gets warmer, and I'm sure Tennessee is even warmer than we are right yes. now, bears do tend to come out more frequently and come into inhabited areas Yes, to lounge in your pool, your kiddie pool. I've seen them in the kiddie pools. I've seen them in hot tubs. I've seen them, you know, a lot of water. Yes. Just to cool off. So, yeah. Well, I like I said, I am glad that the teenagers had more <clears throat> sense than some adults that I've heard about. Well, speaking of adults that don't really have a lot of common sense, I'm going to read you this tidbit. I have a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Okay. This was from May 28th. So, last week. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. An escaped alligator was spotted swimming. An escaped alligator. Now, what does that say? Got away from a zoo, right? Or from a stupid person who thinks that alligators are pets. An escaped alligator spotted swimming in Pennsylvania's Susquehanna River. So, Pennsylvania. Again. Was captured Friday morning and returned to his owner. The Find Toby in Pennsylvania Facebook group for Lost Pets posted a photo Friday morning showing the alligator floating in the river. The reptile is described as tame. For the love of God. And legal. He is a pet alligator. He was caught on video floating near the John Wright restaurant in the Wrightsville, Lancaster County area. Neighbors said the alligator named Oscar. Does he answer to his name? Does he come when you call him? Here, Oscar, Oscar. Was successfully captured and returned to its owners in the late morning. Mike Parker, who is communications director for the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission, stated that alligators are perfectly legal to own in Pennsylvania. For God. Why? That's a really good question. What part of a human being's house <clears throat> looks like a good environment for an alligator? According to last week's <clears throat> the kitchen. <laughs> Don't I know that? <laughs> I'm just saying, you cannot possibly provide an alligator with what it needs. They're wild animals. They are reptiles. They eat things and people because that is what they do. It's what they're supposed to do. They're not pets. They're not tame. <laughs> what? I just had this scene kind of play out in my head and I need to preface Do we this. swim with him in the pool? I need to preface this by saying I have not been drinking. You get up in the middle of the night, and you go in to use the bathroom, and you open the door, and you go, oh, sorry, I didn't know you were in the tub. <laughs> I'll hold it. There's no such thing as a tame alligator. None. I don't care who you are. I don't care how smart you think you are. There's no such thing as a tame alligator. No shit, None. Sherlock. Oh, my God. None. All right. And his name is Oscar, for God's sake. Put him back out in the wild where he belongs. Obviously, that's where he wants to. Well, also, though, if he has been in a human home, fed and taken care of. You almost have to put him down because he can't take care of himself in the wild, Then, Or he has to go live in a zoo or a sanctuary somewhere. Because he's going to continually, I mean, if he was put out in the wild, he would continually go back to people's homes. Yes, and he may not know how to defend himself or how to feed himself. Properly. Well, there goes the neighbor's cat. Oh, I thought that was the Chinese restaurant down the road. <laughs> All right. That's... Yeah. Sorry, but for lack of any better words, that's <sighs> fucked up. Alligators aren't pets, people. They're not pets. They're not tame. Pennsylvania, get your shit together. They should not be legal. 
I don't think that we can stress this enough. I don't believe that we will ever be able to say this enough in our podcasts. Wild animals are not pets. I do not care how cute you think they are. I do not care how fascinated you are with them. Wild animals are not pets. No. It is cruel. They need their space. They need their environment. We can't possibly care for them the way they need to be taken care of. Please stop. Just stop buying or obtaining illegally wild animals who belong in the wild. It's legal in Pennsylvania to own an alligator. That's why I said buying or illegally obtaining because... Which to me is retarded. Yes. But... Yes. It is illegal to take a selfie with a tiger in Pennsylvania, but it's legal to own an alligator. Which means you can take a selfie. (laughs) i want to know do you think he sleeps in the same bed with them oh dear god i mean the chicken did oh dear god oh dear god i i can't even fathom the brain that thinks that's a good idea what happens when there's a thunderstorm and the and the alligator gets Gets scared scared. (laughs) (laughs) talk about a crimp in your sex life speaking of yeah no i'm just gonna stop okay all right okay You ready for a story, Mary? Okay. Hit hit us with a story. Okay. James Wide, also known as Jumper, was a railroad worker who earned his nickname by jumping from train car to train car, even as the trains were moving. That was going to be my first question. (laughs) Yeah. He worked for the Cape Town Port Authority Railway Service. One afternoon in 1877, near Kleinport, This is in South Africa, by the way. I should tell you all this. Okay. James suffered a tragic accident. He slipped while jumping between cars, and he (gasps) fell onto the tracks. Uh Uh-oh. Where the gigantic metal wheels of the moving train severed both of his legs at the knees. Did they call him Bumper? (laughs) Stumper? (laughs) I was trying not to be really, really bad. (laughs) You got me. Somehow, James survived this horrific accident. Unable to perform the job he had been doing... He took a new position at the Uten-Hage station. And I probably totally butchered that, but that's my best guess at how to pronounce it. Anyone that lives in Africa, you are quite, feel free to um, correct us. Yeah. He carved himself two wooden peg legs, and he fashioned himself a wooden trolley. He carved himself his own legs. Yep. That's a talented man. And he fashioned himself a wooden trolley, which was like a wagon, to help himself get around. That's a talented man. Despite his best efforts, James Loss limited his job performance, and he was honestly devastated. He loved his job. He still had trouble getting around in the way that he really needed to in order to effectively perform his job duties, even with the legs and even with the trolley. One afternoon, James was at the local market in a nearby town when he saw an ox wagon being led through the market. The wagon was being driven by Jack, and this is where James' life turned around. Upon being introduced, James could clearly see how smart and capable Jack was, and James offered to hire Jack as his assistant, someone to help him both at home and at work. Okay. A friendship that would change James' life and history was formed. Very cool. Jack moved into James' cabin. At home, Jack would perform household chores such as sweeping the floor and taking out the garbage and other things, you know, chores that were difficult for James to manage. And each day... Jack would push James to work on that wooden trolley that James had built for himself. At one point in the half-mile journey, Jack would have to push the trolley up a hill. 
And at the top of the hill, Jack liked to also jump onto the trolley with James and ride it down the hill with him just for fun. Yes, Mary? I just pictured you and I doing this. <laughs> it doesn't end well for the two of us. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> at the railway station, Jack quickly picked up on what James' job entailed. And he began to take over doing it himself. He had never worked at a railway before, but he seemed to be a natural, learning what needed to be done and how within just a few days. Soon Jack was running the train signals and handing out the keys to the train engineers as needed. He quickly became invaluable and perhaps even indispensable to James. The train signals instruct a train which track they need to be on to safely reach their destination and to avoid all the other trains. Right. Makes sense. Trains pulling into the station would signal for the keys with four whistle blasts. It was a long and painful task for James to get the keys over to the train engineers, which slowed down the train schedule considerably, but the railway was understanding. Jack, taking over the task, was so much more efficient for everyone involved. The keys allowed the engineers to unlock the points, which gave them access to the coal sheds. Okay. Okay? Yeah, because they ran on coal. Right. Eventually, Jack was operating the railroad signals all on his own while James simply sat and supervised. He became so good at the job that he began to gather fans with people coming to the rail station just to watch Jack. I have never once felt the urge to go somewhere just to watch somebody work. He became a sort of local celebrity. Some people were concerned about Jack running this rail station because he had no formal training, he'd never done this before, yada yada. And someone eventually alerted the management of the railroad. A manager was sent out to fire James for allowing Jack to run the rail station for him. No. But James pled for jobs on behalf of them both. He offered to let the manager test Jack's skills for himself. Makes sense to me. Yeah. The manager, while thoroughly skeptical, agreed to the proposed idea. The manager instructed a train engineer as to what he wanted to do. And then the manager stood back amazed as Jack made all the correct signal changes without a single error, and while maintaining eye contact with the trains on the track, ensuring that his work was correct. The manager was so impressed that he gave James his job back, and he hired Jack as an actual railroad employee. Wow, good for them. For the next nine years, Jack worked at his job, never making a single mistake. For his job, Jack was paid 20 cents a day and a half a bottle of beer a week. Jack became such a celebrity for the job that he did that passengers would throw gifts to him from the passing train windows. (laughs) Jack contracted tuberculosis in 1890 and passed away. Jack was a baboon. Oh my God. I was, oh my God. Jack's skull is still on display at the Albany Museum in Grahamstown, South Africa. That's freaking awesome. That was awesome. I thought you might really like that. It took me a minute to figure out what you had said. A baboon. A baboon. He was a baboon. That was a very cool story. I thought you'd like that. I did. This is called A Life Forgotten. Okay. We've all been where we'd like to forget who we are or where we came from or maybe even what direction we were headed. Okay, yeah. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to wake up one day and to not remember anything? I don't know if I've really wondered so much what it would be like as considered how terrifying I think it would be. I think on one hand it would be, unless, you know, you have a very big sense of adventure. So 
So you would no, have no idea of where you live, who you were, what you did for a living, who your relatives were, or even what your name is. Okay. So imagine this. Wake up on the side of the road just outside of Craig, which is a small town in northeastern Colorado. Nothing really seems familiar to you. You check your pocket, your wallet's gone. Suddenly you feel a sharp pain from your very badly bruised ribs. And as you pull your hand away, you discover there's a lot of blood. That's never good. A few feet away from you, there's a gun. Oh. Think to yourself, it's my gun? Could I have shot someone with it? Or even worse, did I kill someone with it to begin a big fight? You try to replay the incident in your mind, but you can't remember a damn thing. Nothing. Such an event did actually happen to a 24-year-old man in the May of 1946. Okay. He truly had forgotten everything. He woke up. He was in a little pain. He was bloodied. There's a gun lying by him. There's no idea who he is, where he's at, what the hell happened. Shortly after he wakes up, he hears a car approach. So he takes the gun. He hides it under his shirt. He tries to hitch a ride. 1946. There was a couple in the car. They kind of were very suspicious about him. But 1946, they gave him a rounding ride into town. It was a different time back then. It was a very different time. He finds somewhere. He cleans himself up as best he can. And the young man goes to the police station. So obviously he knew that that was a safe place. He goes to the police station. He hands over the gun. The officer asks him his name. The man has no idea. The only really thing, the only thing he really has to give him a clue is a badly worn identification bracelet that he's got on his wrist, but it's really well worn and he can't read the whole thing. Okay. So what he can make out is a a Robert for the first name and the last name, it starts with S-H-E-R. Okay. So that could be a lot of different things. Yes. He could be Robert Sher, he could be Robert Sherwood, Robert Sherman, Robert Sherborn. A lot of things. He says Robert Sherman sounds good. We'll take Robert Sherman. I don't know whether it's right or not, but it just sounds best in my head. So he expects to be arrested right there on the spot, but he isn't. Oh. They keep the gun, and they let him walk out of the police station, and he walks right out and has really no option but to start a new life. He has to start a new life. He doesn't have an option. And how do you do that? Okay, because at this point, you have no idea what skills you know. Nope. You have no money. You have no place to go. Right. And you don't have anybody to ask for help. Right. Because you don't know who you are or where you're from. What if you were just traveling through? What if you are a bank robber? I mean, you just don't know. So at first, he assumed that his memory would be lost, would be short-lived, and he wasn't real, real worried about it. He has absolutely no money. So he gets a job loading boxcars. And after a while, he decides it's time to move on. That really wasn't a job for him. So without any memory of his past, he actually just fabricates one over time. Okay. He became Robert or Bob Sherman. He was in, told people he was an ex-Marine from Texas. He had been a student at a prestigious boys' school in New York and in o- Omaha. He worked at a casino in Reno, Nevada. He worked as a railroad detective in California. And at one point in time, he worked as a deputy sheriff in Nevada. But even though he sounds like maybe he's becoming successful, doing well, he's still haunted by his past. He still has no idea who he is. He still had no idea what the deal with the gun was. Right. He got a job working at an aluminum plant. And at that point in time, they fingerprinted him and he expected the police to come and arrest him. He just assumed because he was in possession of a gun, there's blood involved, he had a very bad past. So he expected them to arrest him. 
Okay, that makes sense to me. When the results of the fingerprint search came back as a match, he was shocked to find out that the name of the man that belonged to the fingerprints was Robert Sherman. Oh, how bizarre. He was actually the man he was pretending to be. He even went as far as enrolling himself in some FBI training courses to have his fingerprints checked against their records. And again, they pointed right back at Robert Sherman. One day, he's working as a juvenile counselor in Sacramento, California. Sounds like he moves around a lot. Yeah. But I also don't really have a time frame of this. His supervisor mentions that there's a problem with his school transcripts, and they have to get it straightened out if he's going to keep working there. And that was the last they ever saw of Bob Sherman. He left there, and he ultimately set up his own business in Los Angeles as a deep-sea diver. What okay. the heck? So he's loaded boxcars. He worked at a casino. He's a railroad detective. He's a deputy sheriff. Oh, no, I, he think, he made, I think those are things he made up and told people. I think that he... You think wo- so? Yeah. I think that he worked as a boxcar loader. Then he worked at an aluminum plant. You think the rest he made up? Yeah, I think all that stuff in the middle. He, I think he okay. made that up. Okay. Giving Because it talks about his okay. schooling, that he told them this, and then he said this, this. Okay, I think yeah. you might be right. Okay. All right, so he's, he now owns a deep-sea diving business, for real. Bizarre. As the years passed, he fell in love with several women that he wanted to marry, but he also worried about his past come day coming back and destroying both of them because he really didn't know. Right. What, I mean, he knew his name. That's really all he had learned by this point. Maybe he already had a wife and children out there. Okay, I have a question at this point. Clearly, he's been fingerprinted at some point mm-hmm. prior to losing his memory because running his fingerprints gave him his real identity. Right. So why didn't he try to use that to find out who he really was and where he really well, came from? it says he went he just had to, their, to he the just FBI had, training courses. Right, to, but he didn't... I don't know. I mean, we're talking 1946. But you know really what I'm saying? Know. Because clearly if the, if the FBI has his fingerprints and the police have his fingerprints, clearly they know something about him. Mm-hmm. So... Why wouldn't you pursue that? I don't know. 1946? Why wouldn't you say, hey, I woke up with no memory, and I turned this gun in, and this and this and this, and now you've run my fingerprints, and here's who I am, so what do you know about me? Not really sure. 1946, there wasn't a lot of information. It's not like, you know, we can go online and Google anything now. Right. I'm just saying, to me, if the FBI knew who he was, they must have known something more than just his name. Um... Okay, anyway. Okay. So, he doesn't even know if he has a wife and children out there. So, he spends a little time here, he spends a little time there, he he just keeps moving on, and then one day, about 20 years after he woke up on the roadside. Okay. So, we're talking like 1966 now. Yes. Yes. He just lost it. Just kind of went over the deep end. He's driving outside a lot of San Angeles. One day, the stress of the unknown gets the better of him. And he's just forced to pull the car off the road. And the police find him there. I would imagine the people probably reported him. Probably. And they take him to stay with a couple of friends. And while he's sitting on their patio one evening, he suddenly has a moment of clarity. He says, I suddenly thought Albany, New York. That's where I'm from. My name is Robert Sheridan. So maybe he did try to find out his past, but if he's not Robert Sherman, that would have led nowhere. All right. John and Dickie are my brothers. Lillian and Marjorie Marjorie are my sisters. And now bits of his memory slowly start to return. He is also afflicted with a sense of guilt for the pain he feels he caused his family. It's been 20 years. 
They have had no clue what happened to him for the last 20 years. Right. So to make matters worse, he is unsure if he should just abandon his current life and go back to the old one or continue living the fictitious life that he has been living for the past 20 years. Ooh, yeah, I can see where that would be a so, struggle. Yeah, with his mind in confusion and he's, for some reason, suffering from severe headaches, which I'm going to contribute to stress, Bob decides to seek medical help. And with the help of a psychoanalyst, he's able to put together additional details of his life. He remembers the address of his parents' home in McCownville, New York. And finally, after 20 years, Bob Sheridan decided it was time to head back east and confront his past. And upon arriving at his parents' house at 19 Berkwood Avenue, he finds out they no longer live there. Oof. In fact, he kind of figures that after so much time, they might not even be. Which makes sense. So he turns to the phone book, and he can only find the name of one person that he actually recognized. That was one. That was an uncle. So Bob makes the uncle or makes the phone call. He connects with the uncle, and he learns that his sister Marjorie is living in Syracuse, New York. So he drives out to see her, and together they drive to Baltimore to see their brother John, which he remembered his brother's name, but he remembered him as a young child. So the last leg of this reunion took him to Largo, Florida, to see his sister Lillian and ultimately to his parents, who had retired to Indian Rocks Beach near St. Petersburg 11 years earlier. He learned at that point that they were indeed in very poor health. Oh. And that's when he actually learned about his past. Okay. Bob had joined the Navy at age 17. He was in five separate Pacific War campaigns. As a result of the fighting, he suffered a severe mental breakdown, and he was sent to St. Albans Naval Hospital in Queens, New York. But when the war was over... His care was over. Even though he's in the service. They just let him out. Just sent yes. him on his way. Yes. And his father fought for him to continue care, saying that his son wasn't ready. He hadn't recovered. But the Navy said, yeah, he is. And we need him elsewhere. That's So good. the Navy released him and sent him to San Francisco to report for duty. He never arrived. When an article appeared in the Family Weekly on February 27th of 1966, Bob actually received a phone call from a woman who claimed to be the girlfriend of the man who had beaten him. Oh, my God. She said he had robbed me and thought he had killed me and wondered if I was going to press charge. Her statue of limitations is way gone. Yeah, I was just going to say that. She uh, added, In the phone call, she added that Bob had actually wrestled the gun away from her boyfriend. So basically what this all meant was that Bob could now let his mind be at ease. Yes. Knowing that he never shot anyone with a gun, it wasn't even his gun, because he never did remember any of that. Which is, I mean, on one hand, a blessing, but at the other hand, also a curse. Yeah, because you always have those what-ifs. But what at least ifs. now he can hopefully let the guilt go. Yeah, and you and I, we go worst-case scenario. Every time, right down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yes. Bob eventually did marry, and after his parents passed on, he and his wife left Florida, and they moved back to California. Sadly, Robert Sheridan died in Medford, Oregon on November 18th of 1994 at the age of 68 years, 11 months, and 4 days. Other than the bits and pieces that he had learned from others, he never did remember his childhood, his teenage years, or the war that he had fought in. It was a life forgotten. Wow. That is both a very cool and very sad story. Yes. Yeah. I'm a little bit confused as to... How his fingerprints could have come back as Robert Sherman when he was Robert Sheridan. 
I wonder if it has to do with when he went to the police and turned that gun in and he said his name. Maybe, maybe they took his fingerprints. Yeah. Yeah. You might be very right. Yeah. That's the only thing to me that makes sense because that would be the first time he was ever identified as Robert Sherman. Right. So perhaps the police had taken his fingerprints to run them, didn't come up with anything, yeah. and just let it go. But then when his fingerprints were run down the road, they were yeah, attributed back they, to you that. Know, way back in the 40s, did the services actually fingerprint their servicemen? Well, I don't know. And not only that, but it's not as if APHIS existed back then. Oh, God, no. So basically, yeah, I mean, what are you comparing them to? Right. That's, you don't really have a lot to compare them to. Unless no. it's local. Yeah. So freaking true. Very, very cool story. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Two cool stories. And a baboon. <laughs> that baboon is just cool. I, it was really awesome. And as I was researching. Which totally explains the gifts and the crowds of people that came to watch him work. It never occurred to me. All I could think of is people are giving the, this man who's doing his job presents for doing his job? Yeah. Makes sense. It does, but that is specifically why I waited until I know. the end. I know, because you love those things. You do. It was just, as I was writing this story, every time I researched this story, they always started the article by talking about the fact that he was a baboon. Oh, yeah, you got to leave it up. And as end. I was reading the stories and researching and taking my notes, I thought, you know what? When When I was reading them, I thought, this would be such a cool story if they just hadn't told you he was a baboon yet. It's an interesting story to know that he's a baboon, but it's such a cooler, much cooler story when you wait and at the end all of a sudden it's like, and Jack was a baboon. Yes. And I was like, that's how I'm going to write this. Yes. It's kind of like my Monopoly story where I told you about the article and what it was actually about at the end. Yes. Which, you know, was like way back in the middle of the article when I was reading all the Right. How am I doing my research? Yeah. I just thought, you know what, you just kind of leave. You just, you leave that thing that separates the story from something else for the end. You separate it, and that's exactly what you did. That's cool. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I really did. liked, I really liked researching and writing that story. Now I understand. It's fun. I understand why they were giving him presents. <laughs> it's just like, a man is doing his job, but people are bringing him presents. I don't get fucking presents for doing my job. People are throwing gifts to him from the windows of the passing train. Yeah. Probably things like fruit and stuff. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I kind of wondered if you would catch that something was off when I said he was paid 20 cents a day and a half a bottle of beer a week. So I, I caught that, but you didn't tell me what the rest of the people's wages were. But the half a bottle of beer a week? Compensation. <laughs> okay, it used to be that if you worked at a brewery, some breweries would let you drink as much as you wanted on lunch hour. Oh, geez. Or some breweries would send you home with a six-pack every day if you wished. I mean, that was just the way a lot of yeah. places were. So, no, the half a bottle of beer was like, I guess you're splitting it with somebody, but that's to me, wasn't unusual. Yeah. I mean, especially you're talking the 1800s? It was, yeah, 1870s. So, so twenty cents a day might be typical for the eight, you know, for that period of time. Yeah, I mean, I did catch that. I just you didn't have anything else to compare it to. Yeah, I just thought it was such a neat story. The baboon drank beer. Yeah, he just rose up a notch, and in my he mouth. rode a wagon down 
down the hill Jesus. every damn day. I was pretty sure you were going to crash them into something. <laughs> I really was. Because I knew you didn't have a lot left for your story, and I thought, this, I don't even know. <laughs> I love it when you keep me guessing. Good. All right. Thanks to everybody who stopped by and listened to our silly stories today. We hope you enjoyed our show. Absolutely. You can find us on Facebook at Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. Or at TMSIDNTK at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. Yes, and we have Instagram now. I know. Now we just have to get those off the ground. Now I have to learn how to use that. I have to teach you how to use that. That's right. To learn to use Twitter and Instagram. It's all right. We'll get you there. If you enjoyed your short stop with us, please feel free to follow the podcast, leaving us a rating and a review. Um, If you have suggestions, ideas, comments, stories you'd like to share with us, or story ideas you'd like to hear us cover, send us an email. Send us a message. You can tweet us. You can message us. You can email us. You can Insta us. Is that what that is? Is No. You don't Insta at Instagram? (laughs) No, Mary. (laughs) You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Breaker, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts. Everywhere. Everywhere. Every freaking where. Those those ratings and reviews really, really do help us. So if you are listening to us on a platform that allows you to rate and review us, please do so. Take a minute out of your time and do so. Yeah. I mean, it not just helps us, but like with Podchaser, it does. They do things. uh, They give money for each rating and review. They donate money. Not to us. Not to us. To things like Meals on Wheels. Yeah. So it does. I mean, not just helps us, but it helps other people too, which is right. really, really cool. Feel free to share our podcast with people you know, people you don't know. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. Share it on Instagram. Yeah. Share it, share it, share it. Yeah. Make your coworkers listen to it. Force your friends to hear it. If you have your own podcast you want to cross-advertise with us, let us know. We'd be glad to do that with you. Absolutely. So, obviously, you know that Han and I are co-hosting this podcast. And all editing is done by someone at this table. Yeah. So, we don't really have a final thought because, you know, it's hard to know when we're even thinking anymore. Life is busy. I'm not sure my brain works anymore. Me either. Have a great day. Bye.
train.